I wear my heart on my sleeve and my work. I really do. And I think that's one of the things that's helped me, but it's also like a negative sometimes. <laughs> and in this moment, I was like, holy shit. Okay. I'm really upset. You know, I feel like what I built is now crumbled. We're like, well, what's going to happen? You know, we're we just going to dissolve growth. Is growth going to exist? What's next? So that was kind of a huge moment for me that I felt like I was at my lowest. Hey, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Andrew Kaplan. And in this show, I chat with people who lead cross-functional growth teams, not about their favorite growth tactics, playbooks, or their wins. There's enough of those shows out there already. I chat with folks who lead growth teams to hear about the hardest parts of their job, the adversity, the self-doubt, the mistakes that they make, and explore how they're able to navigate these things while other folks get stuck. My guest today is Connor Bradley. Connor's the Director of Product Growth at Jobber where he oversees four teams, the ladder up into his growth or expanding acquisition, activation, expansion, and retention. And what's cool about Connor coming on the show is unlike many of my other guests who have jumped around many different roles in many different companies, Connor's been at Jobber a long time, his whole growth career. He started as one person working in growth and has seen his growth or scale to 35 different folks spanning the four different teams I just mentioned. In our conversation, Connor and I chatted about three different things that I think will be interesting to anybody leading a growth team. One is we talked about the lowest point in his growth career. We talked about right after Connor scaled his growth team, having his two core engineers leave the team and needing to rebuild from the ground up. We talked about feeling lonely and isolated working in these cross-functional roles in a hybrid or remote environment, how challenging that has been for him. And we've talked about times when he struggled with self-doubt and how to work through those things. We covered a ton of ground and Connor is a lot of fun to chat with. I know you're going to love this episode. Let's jump right in. Where I'm curious to start is how you got here. So can you give us the TLDR on how you got to this point in your career working in growth? I worked actually at Jobber right out of university. So I had the fortunate opportunity of meeting some great people through some other digital agencies in Edmonton, Alberta. And one of them had moved over to Jobber and was the head of marketing of this 30-person company that was just trying to figure it out. That person reached out to me. I joined Jobber. I came from a marketing background, Swiss Army knife role, doing everything I could possibly do. Ended up leaving because my partner moved to Toronto. So I moved to Toronto, worked at some other software companies, still in marketing. Then Jobber opened an office in Toronto and I was like, I want back. And that same person who hired me originally was like, look, man, I've been reading this Reforge growth stuff and I'm super stoked on it. I have no idea like how to get it going, but you're that person that I know could just try to figure it out. So do you want to be the first hire in growth at Jobber? Which I was super excited about because I'm a very curious person. It's kind of where my career goes through my curiosity. So joined it, learned as much as I could, started building up from the ground up, a couple engineers, designer myself, validating what the heck this is going to look like inside of Jobber. Fast forward six years later, we got four full-fledged growth teams across all different sorts of life cycle states, and it's been a blast. So that's about a quick TLDR. And did you take Reforge I can't remember if we were in the same class or right around the same class. Was it called Reforge yet? Or was it the other thing that was like Silicon Valley Business Review? I think I was just at the start of the Reforge. So I did that classic growth series course. I think they only had the one and that was the one I did right away. And I've done too many since. I think I should probably share my membership with many others. But yeah, I was very, very early days. And did it feel like this career path, which is new? And when you and I first got into growth, it was even newer. Did it feel like it came naturally to you? Oddly enough, I felt like it did because I'm so driven by curiosity and this role is so scientific and experiment driven. It's very much like tap into that curiosity, go find out like you have permission through this process that, you know, we've helped codify and teach you. 
And I think I took that and I was like, man, I have a method to my madness now and I'm able to actually apply it to this company. And I just felt like I have a lot of passion in my work and it tapped into that really, really nicely. So yeah, it felt like actually pretty natural. It was awesome. Along the way, has there been a person or a moment that you felt like has been really pivotal to your career journey? Yeah. So when I became the first hire in growth, I wasn't technically like leading anything yet, but after a year or two, they handed me the keys. Like the leadership team trusted me with the opportunity to like, hey, Connor, take it from here. Tell me what you need. Start small. And I think that trust, that permission was a turning point for my career to really take my passion and how I like to approach work and kind of demonstrate it at scale inside of this 100 person company at the time and showcase my work, showcase how to build a culture on a part of a small team, show what I can do, the ideas that I have and being given the permission and no red tape to kind of explore wherever I wanted to go inside of Jobber allowed me the opportunity to grow really, really quickly and show what I'm made of. And I'm super thankful that Jobber gave me that opportunity because not many get that. And why do you think they gave it to you? Did they trust you? Had you had some wind under your belt, right place, right time or something else? I think a lot of it was definitely like accelerated knowledge gathering. Like I was like pretty intense about like, I'm going to learn all what needs to be learned. You know, the godfathers of growth, Andrew Chen, Brian, all that's out there, Casey Winter, read everything, every single piece out there. So the knowledge was there. And then being able to demonstrate that knowledge and talk about what Jobber could do, paces we could go. I think they saw that in me, that this guy knows what he's talking about. Let's give him a chance. You know, he hasn't done it, but let's give him a couple people and see what he can do. So I think that outspokenness that I was able to provide and establish trust with those leaders and build relationships that I felt like were really impactful, gave them the confidence to be like, go for it, Connor. Let's see what you can do. Yeah, I love that. You were young, you were hungry, you couldn't get enough. Why not you? <laughs> well, exactly. And if I screw it up, whatever, man, it wasn't too much of a risk. So I think it was uh, good for them. Oh, I'm laughing with you. I mean, I think I was at the same point when you and I first met and I was at Wistia. Initially, they were looking for someone to lead growth and they wanted to hire someone above me. And I did the same thing. I mean, that's how we met. I was in Reforge. I was gobbling it all up. I was watching every YouTube video I could. I was reading every blog article I could. And they couldn't find someone to do the job because it was so new still. And they were like, ah, screw it. Yeah, why not you, Andrew? All right, let's give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, love it. Yeah, I mean, that was the beauty of new material, new role, new area of SaaS that was being created and jumping on that opportunity that you and I get in those courses and stuff. So it's cool. Yeah, it's cool. And so as you've been in this role and had this role evolve for you over the years. I'm curious to know, as you reflect back, what's a career accomplishment that you're really proud of? It really is building that growth function from the ground up, validating that this team is worth existing in Jobber and having multiple of them. So starting from zero to like, we have about 35 people in growth on the product side. I feel a tremendous amount of pride in doing that. And I think I'm a big reason why we have that many people and those many teams and the confidence in why these teams exist. When I look back on my career, I feel like that is the thing that I'm most proud of because it took me through many different stages of Jobber and their growth from 100 people. Now we're above 650. How are you going to navigate all these challenges and make sure growth still persists and we've had to change and move around the org and navigating all that? Looking back, it's probably what I'm most proud of. It's amazing. And you said 35 folks that ladder up to your growth org? Yeah. I mean, we got engineering management, design management, the whole thing. It's crazy. It is crazy. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of folks out there who might look at you from a distance and think, this guy made it. You know, he scaled a growth org, started as a growth team of one. This is literally the growth dream. You were at a young growing company, growth team of one, fast forward X amount of years. Now you have a growth org of 35, 
part of the leadership team? Does it feel like you made it? No, it's madness, man. I mean, it's hard to even sit and reflect. You're just so entrenched in what you're doing and you're constantly battling with every fire that's being started. And so I feel like it's easy to get lost and be like, I don't think I've made it. I think there's more to go. I think there's a lot of challenges I'm dealing with, a lot of self-reflection on what could have gone better. I think it's hard for me to look back and be like, oh yeah, I made it. There's no stop and you got to keep going. This episode is brought to you by Nevatic. We're seeing the next phase of product-led growth emerge right now. The first phase of PLG was all about using your product as a go-to-market tool, basically creating free plans, free trials, or reverse free trials, getting new accounts to sign up, and then layering in retention and upgrade programs. It was a solid playbook. The only challenge is that the product value is hidden behind your signup form, which means that most of your visitors never get to see it. The next phase of PLG is all about leading with product value, creating interactive product demos, embedding them on your website, and letting people play with them, click around, and see the value before signing up. This engages way more people, which means more experience that value, more convert to your paid plans, and more become brand advocates. If you're sold on the idea, but not sure where to start, check out Novatic. Their no-code editor makes it easy to create interactive demos, and they're offering a free trial exclusively for delivering value listeners. Go to novatic.com slash value and sign up for a free trial and see for yourself. This episode is presented by AppQs. If you work in product-led growth, you know how important activating and engaging new accounts is. Turning new accounts into active users is critical to your success in a PLG environment and typically why activated accounts is a North Star metric for growth teams. It's why my team spent years focused on improving our new user onboarding experience during my time at Wistia and at PostScript. And that's why I'm so excited that AppQs is sponsoring the show. They're just as passionate about helping product-led companies fix their onboarding and their retention as I am. They're the leading product onboarding and adoption platform for web and mobile apps, and they've helped over 1,500 SaaS orgs create exceptional onboarding experiences that convert new users into power users and brand advocates. So if you're looking for help activating more new accounts, head to appqs.com value they have a free new user onboarding audit, which is done by Romley John. He literally wrote the book on new user onboarding, and he's a close personal friend of mine. For help, head to appqs.com slash value. What about the flip side? So you've had the chance to reflect on scaling the growth org at Jobber. What's been some of the lower points, maybe one of the low points in your growth journey so far? It was definitely early on. We had built this team. So it was me, two engineers, and a designer. We're in the Toronto office together, just vibing. We're hitting on all cylinders. It was exactly what I wanted it to be. Experiments flying off the shelf. Velocity was crazy. We're really impressing Jobber with this four-person team. And I was just so over the moon. I'm like, this is the team we scaled with. These engineers, this designer, this is the group we built from here. We got commitment from the leadership team to go to two teams in 2021. And then COVID hits, we all go home, we're not in the office together, we're missing that energy, so things start changing a bit. Everyone's lives, they're reflecting on what the hell they're doing and where they're at. And then I had my senior engineer in November let me know that he's moving back to Sweden. And I was just like, oh man, you were my guy. You were going to be the manager, you were going to be the leader of the engineers, you know this culture, like we were talking about that. And I'm like, okay, that's okay, we'll figure it out, get back to Sweden, to your family, all that. And then literally three weeks later, the other engineer is like, Connor, I'm heading out. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, I thought I really gutted the first one. I was like, I think I did okay. But this second one, it just broke me. I was just so upset because I wear my heart on my sleeve in my work. I really do. 
for better or for worse. And I think that's one of the things that's helped me, but it's also like a negative sometimes. <laughs> and in this moment, I was like, holy shit. Okay, I'm really upset. You know, I feel like what I built is now crumbled. This group that we were going to build off of has now gone back to zero. Me and Wes, our designer, we're looking at each other. We're like, well, what's going to happen? You know, we're we just going to dissolve growth. Is growth going to exist? What's next? So that was kind of a huge moment for me that I felt like I was at my lowest. So what happens next? So you lose your two engineers, you're stressed. The foundation of a growth team, right? It's really not a growth team without people who can build and ship inside of the product. What happens after that? So there's so many thoughts going through my head because now we're remote. So now I'm like, how do I build this up without that sitting beside each other, that same opportunity I had to build it up. So I'm nervous about that. I'm reflecting, so I'm down. Basically, I would say I give a tremendous amount of respect to the executive team at Jobber who knew I was down. I voiced it. I was like, hey, crew, I'm down. I'm pretty upset right now. And Sam, our CEO and co-founder of the company, DM'd me. We got on a call. He talked me through it. And one of the things that resonated with me the most was he said, Connor, you validated that this is something we want to have a jobber. And he's like, if you left tomorrow, we're still going to have it. I just need you to know that growth is going to continue. We took a step back, but we believe in what you've done and we believe in this. And I think those words really helped me just be like, just relax, Connor. It's okay. We can move forward. And then right after that, my boss at the time, the chief revenue officer, Sean Cadeau, also reached out to me gets me on a call. He's like, Connor, go grab a beer from the fridge. You know, we're sitting there and we just talked for like a good two hours. Like the power of their influence on me in that moment was just giving me that confidence to like take a day, take a couple days, but like right back in it. Let's rebuild this. Let's get the replacements up. Let's hire and let's go for it. And we did that. So we did still commit to those two teams in 2021. It was just about getting back on the horse with the mindset that I wanted to have. With the benefit of time, and space makes a lot of sense, right? But in the moment, tough. Yeah, good learning for me in the moment. I think looking back now, I think I was very reactive to the situation. You know, obviously I had an opportunity to just think at the 10,000 foot view, but when you're in it, COVID's happening, all this stuff's going on. It's like a bundled up of emotions. And then these two hits happen back to back and it was hard to not let it overwhelm me. If you could go back in time, anything you would do differently or any advice you'd give your former self? I think... It really is trying to stay at that 10,000 foot view as a leader. Things are going to happen. People have different lives, different choices that they're going to make, and that'll be constant. It's more so what system have you put in place? What have you proven? What is known? And stay there. I think part of it too, though, is I don't regret building that emotional connection to the team because I think that's what made the team special. So don't lose it. Allow yourself to feel, like allow yourself to feel the hit but then don't not build these connections again. I think that was something that I feel like I was resistant once we started hiring. I'm going to remove myself a little bit more because that was maybe too close, but that's what makes the sauce. That's what gets it going. So I've been, you know, reflecting back and like, don't worry about it. You can do it again and just build relationships and be happy for everyone's career no matter what. So it's great. Yeah, I love that. And what's cool is that you built something that would outlive you. And that's hard to do because you think it's you and it is you. And that's why it got going and it's your approach. And it was you reading all the blog articles and going to Reforge and watching the YouTube old recordings of the previous conferences and things like that. So it was you, but then you scaled something that was bigger than you. And that's pretty hard to do. That's pretty special. Yeah. I mean, that was such a nice reminder from Sam, our CEO, just to be like, I left today. This would be a strategy of Jobber. This would be a function. And that's why I'm so proud of it. I'm like, great. I'm replaceable. What else is new? No one likes telling themselves that, but it is nice to know that we validated that piece of the business. So it was cool. Yeah, it's super cool. 
You also talked about something I thought was really interesting. You said COVID had just hit. You said we were missing that energy. And I'm curious to know how much being in the office and feeling that energy impacts you working in a cross-functional role like growth. People that know me are probably starting to laugh right now because they know I'm an extrovert. I get energy from other people. When we're within the walls and everyone's there, I'm at my peak. You know, I'm firing at all cylinders. The mind is moving. So yeah, I do think that COVID and remote really pushed me to be like, how do I continue this level of energy, this level of passion that I have for my work without people directly beside me or around me, which is something I still battle with today. A lot of different efforts, a lot of different strategies that I've tried, but it definitely made me feel a bit isolated in moments. It did a number on me in my professional life, I would say quite a bit. So yeah, I'm still battling with that a bit. And what have you tried? One of the bigger things that I think I've tried is to reach out to external people in similar roles. I think that's very helpful because the isolation can feel very unique in growth specifically. Talking to people such as yourself and others allows me to be like, I'm not alone in these problems. People are feeling the same feelings that I'm feeling. And that's just comforting. There's no solutions to those conversations. It's just pure comfort. And you're like, I'm sorry, but I'm feeling it too, you know? And I think that's been great. It's so hard, Andrew, you know, because those hallway conversations mattered when you're in growth. It's not deliberate. You're not in every meeting, but you kind of need to know what the hell is going on. You need to know what departments are thinking, what strategies they're coming up with, how sales is going to move forward in fiscal year 24, how success and all these people. So then you're always in between conversations. Growth's just a bridge everywhere. And you're just trying to find opportunities. So when you're missing those hallway conversations, it creates this isolation and you're sitting there like, the hell should I work on? What's the priority? And what I've noticed is that, especially with these cross-functional roles, alignment is one of the most important parts of the job. Just making sure everyone understands what you're working on, why you're working on it, how you approach the work. And what I found when I was in-house is a lot of that happened in the hallway. So I'd be walking down the hallway and I'd see our head of creative and they would pull me aside and be like, hey, can I just ask you a couple of questions? I promise it's coming from a good place, but I see that your team is working on this thing and I kind of don't like it. Can you just like help me understand what's going on? And that very rarely happens remote. And so I totally understand. It would be one thing if you worked in a role where there was really clear bumpers on either side. But when you work in a cross-functional role with really dotted edges everywhere, you need that. Yeah, exactly. And I think personally, the way that I view how I'm trying to combat that is I'm a very different person verbally than I am written, as you may tell, like the way I approach the passion I'm bringing, how much energy I'm bringing to the role is kind of what feeds me to continue the work and really invest. So voice notes, looms just acquired for billion from Atlassian. That's great. Leveraging these technologies, Zoom clips, whatever it is that can just get my face in a Slack channel to try to get some communication that isn't just written can give me a percentage of what that hallway conversation maybe was. Never the full, I'll admit, it'll never get there, but like it definitely helps me. Yeah. One of the things I also thought was interesting that you just mentioned is you said, sometimes I wonder if it's me. If it's me, am I the one who's feeling lonely? Am I the only person who's feeling isolated? Am I the only person who's sort of struggling with not being able to collaborate as much? And so you talked about the importance of getting support. What's the advice for someone else listening to this, thinking that it is them? It's tough, you know, I reflect back not even that long ago, you're running in this role, you have a few months of experiments. Let's say you're learning a ton, that's great, but you're not hitting, you're not getting significant wins, you're not seeing the numbers move, and you're sitting there like, am I shit at this? What's going on? Like, am I really doing the right things? And then you think, what does this person think of this? What does this person think of me? And you start creating stories in your head, you start making up stuff. And then the advice that I have is, 
because remorse forced us to the edges of our computers and at home, I think we have to be a bit more vulnerable with what we're feeling and honest with our direct reports and our colleagues. And I think it's easier to read it in person and see it. Oh, Connor's struggling today because I wear my heart on my sleeve. It's obvious. Connor's down. Maybe not as obvious when we're in Zoom. So if I don't actually verbalize what's going on, they don't know. I've had great conversations with my boss, Jeff Sherlock, right now. Like we have great one-on-ones. And even with my own colleague, my managers, the engineering managers, the design managers, I'm like, look, this is what's going on. This is what I'm feeling. And they're like, okay, that's great context. You're not alone, Connor. Then you start realizing that they're bringing you back to reality where you've gone to an alternate reality where you don't believe in yourself. So I think that's been super helpful. And what's one tip for somebody listening to this who says, I get it. I know I need to be a little bit more vulnerable. I know I need to vocalize my feelings, but it doesn't come as naturally to me as it sounds like it does for Connor. What's one piece of advice or one tactic that one of those people could try? Maybe you're nervous to talk to your direct report about it. You're not as open. I think even just writing it down and speaking to yourself can be helpful. Let's start there. Just open a doc and write out exactly what you're going on because you get caught up in your head. And then when you start writing it down and you look at it, you realize how ridiculous it might actually be. So start there. See how you feel with that. Maybe work with a trusted friend in the company. I hope you have people in relationships that you can trust colleagues in similar industries, start there. I think it's just warming yourself up to the idea of being comfortable talking about these conversations because they're the ultimate unlock to get you passionate and back in your role and firing. The number one thing I always tell people is like, you are here for a reason, especially if you're in a leadership role in growth. You're a key part of this business. People really believe in you. They respect you. And so you need to reach out and get reminders of that. I have a lot of self-confidence. Like, let's be honest, I need to pick me up once in a while. And I'm not ashamed to admit that. So get out there and get some love. Get your ass back in that chair and keep pushing. Oh, I love that. Quick story here. I started working with a professional coach a few years ago. After I got promoted to director of growth, I felt like I should have been happier and I just wasn't that happy. And I felt like I got there by luck and I was struggling. And... My coach said, I think that you're more worthy of this milestone than maybe you think you are. Why don't you write down every day three pieces of evidence that you are worthy of this title, this promotion, this success or whatever it is. And she said, call it a trophy file. Every day I want you to put three trophies in the file. And for our next session, I want to review them and let's talk through it together. And I was like, God, I kind of hate doing this. You know what I mean? It's like when you work at growth, your brain is just trained to look for evidence of things that are broken or things that need fixing or something that could be doing better. And so to look at things and say, hey, that's going pretty well, just did not come naturally to me. But that was a really good exercise for me. And so I love that advice. And even if you got to get something out, a negative thing, writing it down will give you a little bit of distance and perspective. Yeah, exactly. Love it. You also talked about self-doubt. And so I'm wondering, you've got a lot of comments. Do you ever struggle with self-doubt? All the time. I mean, one of the main things for me is I've committed to Jobber, been there for a long time, been through a lot of new experiences for the first time. So it's a lot of first time, first time and growth and you can acquire as much knowledge as you want, but there's nothing quite like actually doing it. You got to actually put the pen to paper and actually figure it out. And once you get into the trenches, you realize the real struggle and you start doubting if you can actually get it done. So in growth, you go through different stages. I've seen different stages of our teams and what they've had to be able to adapt to. And we're still trying to figure that out today of how we worked six years ago versus how we work now. What are we still running experiments exactly the same the way we did? No. Well, how do we adapt? How do we change mindsets? How do we continue to evolve? That totally resonates with me. I've heard Adam Fishman had a framework for this that I really liked. He teaches at Reforge and actually was a guest on the podcast not too long ago. He talked about the three different stages of growth. I think he calls them the building, the optimizing, and the innovation stage. And I never really knew that. 
and I just worked at a company for a while and I ran a bunch of tests and at some point the test stopped working as well and I didn't really know what to do and then I got stuck and we tried to do some bigger tests and some of those turned into programs that other teams took and ran with. You've been at Jobber a while now. Have you experienced that transition from one phase of growth to the other? Definitely. It feels like there's these inflection points recently in growth now that we're trying to battle with, but definitely the optimizing versus innovating, you know, that balance, that portfolio approach of like, what do you know and what do you not know? What are you exploiting versus what are you exploring? A lot of different balances there where right now you run a lot of tests, you're in the optimization stage, you run, 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 and then you're like, nothing's moving. The hell, this used to work really well. And we'd get all this praise and it was just this machine that just worked. And now it's like, not as inspiring. It seems like we're hitting a wall. So the way I've been communicating it to the teams has been like, we redecorate a lot. We're always redecorating. And that seems like growth. Redecorate, do a better job of impressing people, do a better job getting them to do an action through a lot of redecorating. And then now we're realizing that maybe we should tear down that wall. Maybe we should start renovating. Maybe we should tear up those hardwood floors and actually like do some bigger stuff. And I think that is an uncomfortable position, not only for me, but for the rest of the team, because kind of hardwired them into... <laughs> This is how it should go. An experiment should only take this long to build. Minimum viable test. Get it out. Experiment velocity. And now we're sitting here with like, well, actually, let's sit back. Let's be more willing to take a bigger bet. Let's trust our product sense. Let's not worry as much about this statistical significance piece right now. Let's actually think about this problem at a larger scale, which puts us in an uncomfortable position, but gets me excited to reinvent it just a little bit. And I think for a lot of folks who work in growth, they don't realize that that third stage is even available. They just think, hey, I got to build a bunch of stuff and get it live. And then I've got to test a whole bunch. And that's what growth is. How did you teach your team to change the way that they were thinking? And as a second part, how did you teach the rest of the exact or leadership team that your team was going to be shifting this way? As great as it would sound that I was proactive and saw it coming and I had the vision, it actually was through experience. It was basically just, we kept running tests and I would do monthly updates to, you know, the leadership team. And it's just like consistently noticeable that we've hitting diminishing returns. Not everything's working. And so I think it was through a bit more reaction to the existing process that we had that we need to change something. We got to be more willing to be more aggressive. And so I think that was an easy sell because it was everything we were living. Everyone was feeling it. The PMs were feeling it, the designers, the engineers. They're wanting to get bolder now. I think they were just getting tired of not being able to move the needle. And so through that experience, we're able to come together and say, let's take bigger swing 2024. What are we thinking? And it's really re-energized the group in an exciting way. And then I can't wait for the time where I have to go back to optimization and rewire it all again. But, you know, this is all great for now. Yeah, yeah. All cyclical. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You started as a one-person growth team. You now have this team of 35 folks. If you could go back in time, what's one piece of advice you would give yourself to avoid a few of the potholes along the way? For me personally, just as a growth leader, I was a very passionate, reactive, okay, there's a problem. I'm going to go crazy and I'm going to like invest all my time in the next 24 hours and it'll be done by tomorrow. Like, don't worry about it. I think one of the things that has been harmful on that is just you got to be calm. Just be calmer. Like if I were to go back, I'm sure I would just look at me and just be like, dude, relax. It's fine. Don't worry. Stay strong. Keep a consistent mindset. And I think it's easy for me to ride the roller coaster. Let's keep at a certain altitude and not let myself be so variable because it allows me to stay focused on what's most important. And I think the reaction puts you down paths that you shouldn't be going down. Stay here, stay focused. And then suddenly you waste a lot of time when you get too excited about one little idea or you react to one experiment and all of a sudden you waste two months on something that maybe you just weren't thinking about at a really strong, high level altitude and be like, 
we're not going in that direction. Yes, that was something that was interesting, but let's stay focused on what's most important for Java right now. And I think that's kind of it. It's just like, relax. A lot of the reasons why I am where I am today, I think is because I wasn't relaxed. But I think there was a nice balance to strike there that I wish I had a little bit over this journey. Have there been any tools or mental models that you've used to make progress on that? I think it's been investing in people that aren't like me that's helped. This person is the opposite of me. They're very introverted. They go through the logistics. They think through a problem. They're really methodical in how they think about that problem. I want to get to know that person. I want to like learn about them, learn about how they think about these things. And I think that can bring me a more balanced approach to how I look at my work because I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. So my current boss, Jeff, is he has a good balance on this, but he's been able to help me <laughs> like, let's stay balanced. Let's stay focused. And he's been able to really help me not react heavily to things and be like, okay, that's a problem. That is a problem. Let's keep it at the problem stage, put the emotions completely out of it. I'm like, oh. Right. Sounds so basic, but when you're in it, you're so excited, you're so invested, and it's hard not to let the emotions make you be reactive in situations. Right. I didn't know I could have a problem and not get stressed about it and not go high or low with it. And I didn't know I could just keep it in the middle and talk about it factually. Staying balanced, obviously, is a key and surrounding yourself with other folks who have complementary skill sets. Any other skills that you would prioritize that would make your growth career easier? I think a lot of it would have been on the people management side. Definitely want to invest in people management because in growth, especially in my career, it just happens so fast. All of a sudden I'm managing engineers, designers, and PMs. And now I only manage the PMs and we're matrixed out, but like it just happens so fast. And what's easy to get lost in a growth leader is you're so excited about the strategy, the loops, the methodology, the ideas. And it feels like the majority of growth leaders that I meet are so focused on the strategy and, and the actual tactics. Versus like actually the one to many, like I'm going to spread this knowledge. I'm going to make you better than me at this. And I'm going to make sure that this really spreads. And I think that is a big unlock when you go from zero people to 35, because now you're not even doing the work. Now you're just kind of overseeing mindset and culture and making sure people are in the right directions. And you're giving them sandboxes that are big enough for them to play in that they can do a lot of great work. But without that people management and development, you lose a lot and it catches up to you really fast if you're not paying attention to it. I'm also curious to get your take on growth, career, personal brand. I feel like I've been seeing everywhere over the last really two years, once the pandemic started and kind of since then, the rise in folks building a personal brand in the growth space. And you've got folks with a really big audience talking about all kinds of cool stuff like Elena and like Adam and like Lenny. There's been a whole bunch of those folks. What role does personal brand play for you at this point in your career? I love it. I think it's been great to see it. Elena is a perfect example of someone that I think is top, top in terms of content. You see her energy, you can feel her passion. And like, that's growth to me. I'm like, so you can really see how much she loves it. And I love the sharing. Lenny, I mean, all this stuff's great. For me, the personal brand, it's on the wish list, but like the mind is full right now and you shouldn't get upset about it. I'm putting it on the shelf. I know it's important. And I don't want to be another cog in the machine saying the exact same thing everybody's saying. So that's another part where you want to be different. So that takes work, effort, creativity. The advice I got, I think was bad advice, but I took it. When I was first really starting to get into growth and to run a lot of experiments and we see it giving me a long leash and let me do a lot of cool stuff. I also wanted to start building my personal brand. I saw other people speaking at conferences and I was thinking, well, I, I have similar experience to that. Maybe I'll be a guy speaking at a conference at some point. And I was like, man, I do not have enough time to run the growth team, 
to be a part of the leadership team and then also be sharing and doing anything outside of work, I'm tapped. My manager was the COO at the time. He basically said, look, you have a choice. You can be a workhorse or you can be a show horse and you probably can't do both well and you should choose. And I was like, well, I'll be a show horse later. I'll just keep working. And what I've really learned is it was probably right. You just can't do both at the same time. There is more of like the build in public stuff, which I wish I had done more of sharing along the way, little bite-sized pieces. If I could go back, I would do that. But that was the advice I got. And I get it. It's really hard. Yeah. And you know, with what I have is earned a lot of respect for the people that do it. I know the feeling right before you quick publish, you're like, why am I posting this? Who's going to care? But like you see it and then you just gain the respect. I'm like, look at this audience. Look at these people. There is an engaging community out there. And just as I was saying, connecting with other people and sharing ideas, giving you that level of comfort that you're not alone. A lot of these people that are doing this is helping people stay grounded in the work and remember that these are common problems and common themes that are felt across many organizations. So I think it's awesome to see the influx of growth influencers and content coming in. It's awesome. Yeah, I agree. Any career goals for you moving forward? So you're at this point, I said, some folks listening to this probably look at your background, your experience and think, that's my goal. But I'm curious now that you're at the point that you're at, if you have any goals that you're comfortable sharing. The career opportunities come through the work. And I think if I'm able to stay focused and accomplish what I'd like to accomplish, I know there's going to be opportunities for me. And I am a goal-oriented person, but I wouldn't say I'm this title, this path, this, that. It's like, if I work hard and I can get what I believe I can get done, there will be opportunities. And I'll be likely you know, wanting to push forward and do them. Opportunities to speak with other people and give advice long-term is definitely something I'm very excited about doing. You know, the variability of looking at different companies, different org structures and providing advice and providing opportunities is something that would be an incredible opportunity to have. But that's not any near term at the moment. Stay focused, focus on providing that value and the options will be there. Oh, exactly. That's it. And I think if you get too caught up in a poorly set goal, then you're just distracted. And you're like, why hasn't this happened yet? Versus you're losing sight of what's actually most important, which is the value you're providing at the end of the day. Thank you for coming on and sharing some of your stories and the speed bumps and some of your thoughts. For folks who are listening that want to follow or get to know you, where should we send them? Probably just ask to connect on LinkedIn. That's probably the best at the moment. Let's have a chat. That's all I'm really looking for is to continue to get back in the community and chat with people. Love it, man. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the pod. I hope that you enjoyed the episode. If you did, the biggest gift that you could give me as a small business owner and as a content creator would be a review. You know the game. You can go on to Apple Podcasts. You can go on Spotify. Leave a review. That would help me service this content to other folks who are like you. Obviously, you should subscribe to the content if you really dug it. And if there's feedback that you have for me, folks you think I should chat with, stuff that you wish I would gloss over faster, whatever it is, I'm all ears. I work in growth. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I try to collect feedback and iterate quickly. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn at Andrew Kaplan or on Twitter at at A Kaplan. Otherwise, hope you enjoyed the episode and I'll see you next show.